0: And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the eight and a half to my cannonball run, Perry Seibert.
1: <laughs> oh, that's that's a far too high a bar to have to clear.
0: No, <laughs> don't don't put that kind of pressure on me, please. I went easy on myself, so <laughs> That that is a very veiled reference to the fact that on this week's episode we are going to be talking about what we would do if we were invited to participate in the Sight and Sound ballot. Basically, we're going to be talking about what we think are some of the best movies ever made. So, uh, no no daunting feat there. Uh, n- nice light conversation. Um, but Perry, how are you doing? I am
1: I am well, Chris. I am I am eager to have this conversation. The Sight and Sound poll is one of my uh, favorite things that happen once every decade so i am he, i am eager to jump in with you about this
0: i'm excited i'm intimidated uh we'll get into the creation of our lists in just a bit but i, I think this is gonna be a a fun episode and we're actually gonna beat sight and sound to publishing their list so that's nice i think the list comes out in like november so uh we we they can we can just say they're influenced by us um exactly in the we meantime, are the golden
1: globes to the Sight uh, the and sounds Oscar. Oh, instance, don't right.
0: put that evil on me. We, don't pretend, put that... <laughs> we pretend that we have influence. I like it. Uh, well, what's nice then is if we were ever asked to go away, we would be asked to come back like the next year. And uh, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> In the meantime, Perry, what have you been watching?
1: Uh, I had a very interesting experience at See How They Run. Oh, I've been the, curious about this. So, see how they run is a it is a meta whodunit <laughs> starring Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan. It, the it's it's uh, loosely based on fact is not real. It's it's ju- it's take it takes its jumping points from a real point in history. Not that anything in the story actually happened. Uh, there has been a murder involved with the make with the production of the Mousetrap, the uh, the venerable long-running British. Agatha Christie scripted Who Done It, which is still playing in the West End. It's been playing; it's the longest running play anywhere in the world. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, and there is a murder that happens within on the the night of the hundredth performance of the play. Uh, that has to do with a, a a a very obnoxious American film director who has come to town because he might be directing a film adaptation of The Mousetrap. Uh, and w- w- it's a, it's a, it's then at that point it's an Agatha Christie Who Done It. It is uh It is a whodunit within a whodunit, and it's um I, everything about this movie I should like. Chris, I love the, mm-hmm. I I love the mouse trap, I love stuff set in the theater. I adore Sir Ronan, who doesn't. I adore Sam Rockwell, who doesn't. I adore Adrian Brody. Okay, I might adore him more than more than most people, but it's <laughs> still a I, everything about this I like, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it either, except that. I, I sat there the whole time going, it's just not taking (laughs) off. It Uh, works. I understand what it's doing and I don't dislike what it's doing, but it, 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 it is this uncomfortable mix of being just, Oh, so clever. (laughs) If, if I may, if I may steal a, a, a tired phrase, it's, it's, it's too clever by half. Uh, it's very knowing and very winky, and at the same time it wants to sort of develop the Sir Ronan character who is this constable who's working her first murder uh, underneath Sam Rockwell, who is this uh, drunken inspector. Uh, it really wants to try to invest her most especially and him with some real character and it doesn't it this is not that world that's mm. not that's not the world you've built you've built a world that's all about knowing and winking at the audience. I'm not supposed to care. And so as great as the actors are and they're super appealing there's so much time spent trying to make them real people <laughs> you're like we're not in real people land so it was this very very weird neither fish nor fowl experience that was very disappointing because I I I don't I don't want to dislike it I don't want to tell people not to see it it's a very honest trailer if you've seen the trailer it's the movie but it's like oh you could have been so much better if you just committed one way or the other on this mm. Mm. And that was it. It, it bummed me out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And I, I like that cast too. I oh, I was it's, curious it's, about this. There's nothing wrong with it, except that it's not good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I you know I that might might still be something I get around to when it's on streaming. My wife was in Mousetrap years before I met her, uh, and I think we have an actual a magnet from her production on our fridge somewhere. Awesome. And uh, so I might be able to convince her to watch that with me, and she likes all those people too. But
1: it's a British film. It's a very British film.
0: Oh, she loves British that's films. All
1: I'll say. That's all. I'll, uh, that's that, and that that will go a long way towards knowing what your tolerance for this might be.
0: Okay, okay, we'll, well add it to the it
1: movie it's not a PIM. Mo- I wouldn't tell you anybody not to see it if you wanted to see it. It's not a bad movie. It's just not good.
0: <laughs> well, that sounds like a transition because uh, I also saw something that I don't know that I would say is bad but not good um and and I think once again we're gonna come to the well and we're gonna we're gonna talk about Kevin Smith here uh oh I,
1: no, okay,
0: oh. I had the opportunity um, a few weeks ago and by had the opportunity, I mean paid $15 to go to a fathom event <laughs> to go see uh, clerks three a few weeks ago. Um, I, I don't know why, except that I had gone through all of the view Askew universe movies earlier this year. I, I kind of half enjoyed my time, so I was curious how how does this compare to his last movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which is awful, Um, and how it closes off the Clerks trilogy, which I kind of like. I, I like the first movie just fine. I even think the second one has its moments. Um And I will say, I, I've said this before, take this with whatever grain of salt you need to. This is Kevin Smith's best movie in 10 years. Um, <laughs> I thought the cannonball run bar was low. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it it is his best film in 10 years. And I don't know how much I mean that as a slight. Um, I, I will just say this is, if you hate Kevin Smith doing his, you know, dining out on stories of making clerks, don't go see this movie because this movie is basically inspired by his heart attack, which I think should come on the poster inspired by Kevin Smith's heart attack uh, instead of inspired by a true story. But um, yeah, it opens with Randall having a heart attack, deciding that his life has really meant nothing. So he decides he's going to make a movie and him and Dante are going to make a movie about life at the quick stop, which leads to about, an hour and a half of repeated clerks restagings in jokes that if you've attended one of Kevin Smith's uh, Q and A's you've heard before uh, Easter eggs from all his other movies, cameos from, I, I mean, everyone from his movies pretty much. And Fred Armisen who just shows up if he hears you're asking for cameos these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it, gosh, I, it is a movie that is not for anyone who has never seen a Kevin Smith movie. Uh, it is, by now, he is just doing his thing for fans, and that is his audience, um, seen by the fact that he basically gives it a limited run for a week and then tours the hell out of it for the rest of the year at $35 a pop. Um, <laughs> and yet, I have to sit here and say, I also didn't quite hate the movie, uh, in fact, my review yeah. is like three out of five stars because I, I can admit it's not great. It's about as good of a movie as I think Kevin Smith can make these days. Um, it, it is very much in his wheelhouse of it is Dick and fart jokes. It is constantly regurgitating his myth, but at the beginning and end of the movie, I really feel like there are moments where he has something to say. Um, yeah. However, clumsy he might say it, right? Like he, I, I'm not expecting him to turn into, you know, and you know, a great filmmaker at this point or a great writer. I, I, you know, I will say I think he does have being a great writer still in him. But um, his, <laughs> maybe his dialogue is you, still funny. You are hopeful. Well, <laughs> you his are dialogue hopeful. is his dialogue is still funny sometimes. I still think Jeff Anderson might deliver his dialogue better than anyone not named Jason Lee. Um, but but there is a sense of he actually does have something to say, and there's a sincerity to it that kind of got to me in certain parts. Where he, if this is his movie, saying, I feel completely lucky that I get paid obscene amounts of money to pal around with my friends, and that kind of works. And there are some more serious moments, there are long stretches without jokes that are. Intentionally without jokes, which isn't always the case. um, Where you can feel him trying to be a more emotional filmmaker. And it's clumsy and goes way, way too dark in the final 20 minutes. But it, it feels like the first alive thing he's made in a very long time. Like, warts and all, it's coming from a genuine place. And I have to give him that because... I'm so tired of going into things that feel calculated and all the rough and edges sanded off uh, and all the voice kind of hidden between behind like the Disney sheen that to see something that actually feels like, Oh, it's from his very imperfect voice. Yeah. I'll give him that. It's the best thing he can do. Um, (laughs) Is, is faint praise, but. I, play this game with me
1: will you play this game with me real quick okay just i I, just don't think about it just Mm -hmm. give me a straight up yes or no or about as good as okay Mm -hmm. okay you ready i'm ready clerks clerks three or red state better than clerks three or cop out better than clerks three or zach and mary make a porno about the same okay so let's amend this to you're basically saying 15 years
0: <laughs> that was 14 probably years I would, ago. yeah but let's
1: let's i just want to i just want to stretch this out a little <laughs> bit i want i want a bigger canvas to understand how long it's been since kevin smith has been worth paying attention to and i agree with you zack and is the last one i kind of liked
0: i don't <laughs> I think even love that's it been
1: but terrible right no no i kind of liked <laughs> the low bar of kind of liked was enough for zack and Miri for me and that i will mostly do with seth rogan
0: i i will say this one is kind of worth seeing just for the sheer audacity of how much he makes Dante job in this movie, like not even in a humorous oh, way. Yeah, just just the the shit this character like. Oh yeah, not just a little indignant. Have you seen this
1: yet? You probably haven't seen this. No, no, but that's that's totally that's what Dante is. Absolutely, I mean that's that's true for the first two movies. So I have okay. no doubt that. Now that he's experienced actual real life loss and pain, yes, I can see him veering way into
0: this. Oh, yes, yes. it's it, it gets dark in the last 20 minutes, and yet he still finds a way to undercut it with bad jokes. Um, it, it's, <laughs> God, I, I, I'm really regretting the three out of five stars I might have given it. But uh, <laughs> it, at the same time, you know, it is one of those things where I've been waiting so long for Kevin Smith to have something to say. That if he says it imperfectly, okay. Like, <laughs> I stumbled across, and I you know, it was
1: recommended for me. That's why I stumbled across it. Mm-hmm. I didn't go seeking it out. Uh, it's, uh, on my YouTube suggested things was, and I don't, it looked like it was posted sometime in the last couple of weeks. It was from, I assume, some fairly recent Kevin Smith public appearance where he talked about revisiting Magnolia, you know, after after spending all of the late night, all of making his career, Making his identity, hating it. Attacking that movie. Yeah. And him finally uh, sitting down to watch it and bawling like a child <laughs> and saying that he was so wrong so many years ago and that it came from a place of such jealousy and immaturity. And I'm like, well, if only his filmmaking were this self-aware and willing change, <laughs> I'd pay attention again.
0: Yeah, um, I will say if if you want if you want a hint of how subtle this movie is, uh, <laughs> the opening montage is set in its entirety to "My Chemical Romance's The Black Parade," uh. which is a song I like, but it is on the nose, and he lets the entire five minute song play out. Yeah, that's so. too bad. To be fair, I. Teenagers is the best My Chemical Romance song. It's a good song. Uh, I, I was talking to I think our buddy Nate Adams on Twitter, and he was he was bringing this up, and I'm like, well, I don't mind because I like the song, but uh, I kind of want every movie to open with that song now. Like, I think since <laughs> since Joker Two is a musical, it should open with "When I Was a Young Joker." My father took me to Gotham City to see a fighting bat. <laughs> I. And I think that if he hasn't heard it yet,
1: Todd Phillips will be rewriting and reshooting the first five minutes of the movie based on that (laughs) suggestion. And I think he can make it work. I'll be honest. I I trust Todd Phillips pull that off.
0: You know what? This is a digression, but. um, (laughs) Oh yes. Just just like Kevin Smith's last 15 years. (laughs) Yes. So one of my favorite episodes we ever did was uh, the Joker review we did where. Oh yeah. You were charitable and I called it trash and i i I still can't find anything I liked about that movie, and yet, I am so morbidly curious about what Joker Two is <laughs> like like to the point where I feel like I have a genuine interest in wanting to see it because it just sounds like something like cooked up in a coke dream um and I am eager for it, not because I thought the first one was
1: genuinely interesting and and worthwhile, but because. I I, the last time that Todd got near a part two was the hangover part two, which was the most incredible trying to make an audience leave the theater experience. I've ever watched anybody. Are you just trying to shed an audience? What can I put you through and you'll stay around? And I'm like, all right, let's do this to this audience. I want to see, I want to see what you're going to (laughs) try. I might really love this movie.
0: (laughs) I think my review of hangover part two, commented that uh the cinematography made me feel like i had dengue fever the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, Just, it's a, it
1: is one of the most purposefully ugly movies you'll ever sit through. It, it yeah.
0: <laughs> Another great transition point by the way. It's true. Uh, but, doing a 180. So, so we're going to talk we're going we're going to veer from talking about mediocre movies and outright awful movies. Um and we are going to talk about some of the best movies ever made in our opinion. Um, Harry, do you want to explain a little bit about what the uh, Sight and Sound list is?
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: All right. The I knew it was. venerable
1: Sight and Sound magazine, Britain's, England's finest film magazine for years, decades, decades, uh, first undertook this endeavor in 1952, where they polled a bunch of directors and critics around the world and asked them to name their 10, the 10 best movies ever made. And all they did was they added up all the lists that each film appeared on in order to present a list of the greatest films ever made. In 1952, The Battleship Potemkin was the number one film. Uh, And then they repeated it every 10 years. Every year that ends in a two, this happens. So in 62, 72, 82, 92, and 02, Citizen Kane was the number one film. And I, I don't remember when. I think it was in... I think maybe starting in 02, I can't remember if it was 02 or 12. uh, They started splitting the directors and critics into two different lists and a combined one as well. But you could see how they would differentiate. And that's very interesting to me. Um, And then, of course, in 2012, they were uh, wonderful enough to put every single ballot online and it's still searchable. And boy, if you're a film nerd, you can lose hours on (laughs) going through those. It is it is a pleasure to see what Quentin Tarantino voted for in 2012. (laughs) Uh, I mean that (laughs) I'm not being sarcastic at all. Uh, And so I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this year, 2022. Uh, Last last time around uh vertigo took over the top spot personally something i think is utterly ridiculous since not only do i not think it's the greatest film ever made i don't think it's the best film hitchcock made i don't think it's one of the three best films hitchcock made (laughs) but that's me uh and so we're all waiting to see if uh if 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 we go back if it's a regressive moment for everybody and citizen king reclaims the top spot if vertigo holds on or if something else comes up
0: yeah it'll be interesting when um Anchorman, the Legend of Ron Burgundy tops the list <laughs> um so so what we decided to do is we both came up with a a list of ten, and I have to say, this was the hardest list I've ever put together for this show. Um, I was changing it as of this morning um it is a <laughs> it is a much different beast than being asked your 10 favorite movies right absolutely absolutely Um, yeah ask my 10 favorite movies i can probably give you 20 that are sitting on in a list on letterbox right now that i update throughout the year um because that's how much it changes but uh best films that's that's intimidating we're making a stand on our on our podcast that we can't back away from i guess but um it's hard because I'll, i'll just well why don't you talk a little bit first? Like, Because I, I saw your list a few weeks ago, and you said you just kind of pulled that out of your head really quickly. But how did you come t- to your top ten?
1: Well, I, what I love about this exercise is that – and again,
0: I, I know I've said this before, and I want to say
1: it again. List-making is a ridiculous game mm-hmm. that critics play. And guess what? I like to play games. So I'm good. I'm good making this list at, with the caveat. That's what it is. Lists are nothing but a snapshot, but I like doing this like once every 10 years, that feels right. Things, you know, live in different ways with you over the course of a decade. Um, And I've done this list every year, uh, every 10 years, starting from 1992. I was in college in 1992. Was, I decided to do it that year. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I always kind of, I always have about six that I know are going to be there since the last time I did this list. Uh, two films have been added. Two films have been dropped. And I feel that that's about, that's, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. And there are other weird anomalies on my list that I'll talk about after we, after we reveal them. Okay. Uh, with the cabin, of course, and people, please, this isn't going to be long. We're not going to be spending like 10 minutes on each of these or anything. This is, gonna, this is going to be a, we're just going to blow through this pretty quickly. So just d- don't, don't worry. <laughs>
0: And I will say mine was probably an exercise in overthinking this. Um, in the fact that I wanted something I wanted my list to be able to look at it and say everything I like about movies is represented on this list, right? Sure. So there's there's something from every different genre, although, I couldn't fit a documentary on there. I couldn't fit a animated film on there, even though up until yesterday I had an animated film on there. Um, There was the knowledge that we're going to be talking about this. So films that I know should be on the list that I haven't seen in 20 years and I only saw once, I kind of had to strike. Because I'm like, I, I I can't talk about that. So I'm assuming Perry will. Or, you know, down the road next November, maybe I'll go back and revisit some of those and I'll write this all up. Um, it's, it's a very American centric list because my international directors dropped off so I could get the things on that I wanted on. Um, and, and that, you know, we can definitely, like you said, talk about what, what we dropped off. Uh, and then my final challenge was kind of knowing your list. I was like, can I do a list that has none of Perry's entries on there? Um, that's no fun. Yeah, don't do that. I, I thought about it. And then I was like, it didn't look right. It the, the things where we had crossover, I was like, this has to be on my list. This, there's no way to drop it off. So I think we have about four that cross over, but it's still I'm interested to see where we, where we diverge. And um, yeah, if you're listening to this and you have your own list and you want to let us know on Facebook or Twitter, what it is, or tell us where we're wrong. Uh, even though it's a list and we really can't get wrong with our opinion, but uh, you know, let us know. Um, but in the meantime, do you want to go alphabetically through this? That's
1: mine. I, so I, I'll give a couple of caveats for mine. Yes. I always do it alphabetically. I don't rank them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sight site and sound doesn't ask you to some people do. Uh, I prefer to go alphabetical, and I also, uh, this is a big stink ever, and they they change the rules from time to time um, of whether or not film series count, and I, I don't care if someone else does, but I personally can't do that, I, and just because I have one film on a list, it does not mean it's a stand-in for the whole series, so that's all I'm going to
0: say leading into talking I, about my first films. I took the same approach, which is why the Hobbit movies are not on this list, um, <laughs> Uh, But uh, no, I I took the same approach. And in fact, it actually impacted why one movie is not on my list. So interesting. um, I am interested to get into this. Perry, why don't you kick us off with your first entry?
1: I have uh, started mine off with a film that is new to the list this year. It was the one that I realized after I did this list the last time. I was like, "Oh, this is going on my list next year." I don't know why it wasn't this last time. It's really shameful that I missed it. It's a film we've done an entire episode on, and it's Bob Fosse's All That Jazz.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I think the greatest piece of autobiography ever done on film. Yeah. That's my I, quick explanation why.
0: And, and we like, like Perry said, we have a whole episode. About all that jazz, um, which I think if I get a few more viewings of that under my belt, that that could that would could definitely I could see it going on my favorites list and might in 10 years be on this list of mine, too. That that is a great movie. And I I think I've said that is one of the favorite movies we've talked about on this podcast for me. Um, So I would encourage you all to seek it out. And the Blank Check podcast did a really fun episode with Lin-Manuel Miranda about that um, in their uh, Bob Fosse series, so I would uh, recommend that. Uh, my my first one on the list is one that oddly enough feels like an outlier for me, um, and yet it's been on my list since I we I knew we were going to do this, and it's Ridley Scott's Alien. Um, and the reason why the more I thought about it, I'm like, I, I knew going in I needed to have a horror movie because I think one of the most Powerful things about movies that I love is how it manipulates your emotions so well, but also encourages us to experience emotions we would otherwise run from, from experiencing in real life. And I can't think of a scarier movie than Alien. Uh, it, It terrifies me every time I watch it, and it's just so meticulously Put together, I I think the pacing on it is perfect. Uh, It is so slow to envelop you in its world. I love the fact that the monster changes from scene to scene. You don't know what it's going to look like every time. And I think it's just meticulously put together. Terrifying, but it's terrifying in two ways. It's not just the visceral terror of being trapped on this spaceship with this monster it is the subtextual terror. It's all the sexual undercurrents. It's being, you know, coming to realize you are expendable before a faceless corporation that in the end, you might be the only one left and you have to face your fear. Um, It it is a movie I've seen dozens of times. I think it is perfect. I think it is wonderfully put together. Um, The, argument comes up all the time what is better alien or aliens and i think that's a stupid debate um because <laughs> I, I i think aliens I is a lot of fun um i enjoy it but i think alien is perfect it is a movie that i'm more impressed by every time i see it what is up for you next uh next for me is the only film from this century oh interesting and
1: that's uh richard link letters before sunset Okay, which again is not a stand-in for the trilogy, although the trilogy is superb, and um, it's because it is the it, it is the only maybe the only film I can think of on this list in which I, I think it is Letter's masterpiece because it is the it is a film that in real time every single shot matters. And whether it is moving or not matters and it matters how it's moving. It matters if they're walking (laughs) and the camera's following along. It matters if they are sitting still and the camera is sitting still. It matters if they are moving, but they are not propelling themselves. (laughs) All of that thematically matters to not only the conversations they're having, but the relationship that they are having. I find the film just so rich and so cinematic uh, at, for a series that is often thought of as a talk, mm. I think it is undervalued how well that that film particularly is directed. Uh, it's a gargantuan achievement. It's one of my two favorite films of this century. My other one might be on this list in 10 more years, <laughs> but for right now, that's that's going to represent all of uh, the 21st century is Richard
0: Linklater's Before Sunset. That's interesting because... Before sunset would have been on my list, but is the one I was talking about. We're taking it out of the series kind of, I, I feel that movie gains so much power from understanding the first movie. I, I feel like it grows in power when you've seen the third movie. Um I, I, I don't have any disagreement with you putting that on the list. It was on my list at first. And then the more I thought about it, um, and I realized how I loved how it played with time and how the whole series takes this whole idea of people growing in time. That I realized, oh, no, my next film on the list, I might like before sunset more, but I think boyhood is the one I would put on this list. Uh so my my second was boyhood. Um and the reason why oh, is excellent. It, it does that. It it to me, it takes that whole trilogy, the power of that trilogy, watching people. Age over the years and then condenses it into a th- three-hour movie, um, which is something only cinema can do, where you can watch time be smushed together like that right before your eyes. Um, but what I think about Boyhood is how much it escapes being a gimmick. It is not. It, it, I'm surprised no one else has done this type of thing. Um, you know, had the patience to watch someone grow over 12 years and and then put it to film. Um, but if they did it, they would do the expected version of this, right? It would we've talked about this before. It would be all the big moments, and that's not what boyhood is. It is mm-hmm. the moments in between those moments and how not not just Mason, it's his whole family. you are watching their story. And every one of those characters has an arc, has growth. um I, I think everyone in that movie is fantastic. I think it it is kind of richard linklater's thesis statement in many ways it is how time impacts us how it impacts our relationships how we're not the same person 10 years down the road that we were at the start of a journey um and it is a movie that i realized recently i cannot bring myself to watch while i'm raising a young boy right now like it <laughs> just I, I i when i was preparing this list i went and looked at trailers for all these movies and i just pulled up the trailer for boyhood and it was like just the tears i flowing I'm like Shit, I'm, re- I'm living that in, like, real time. Um, but, <laughs> but I think, you know, so it, I, I think it's just a phenomenal masterwork. Um, takes nothing away from his other films because I think the oh, yeah. trilogy is my favorite. But uh, I think Boyhood is the one I would have on the list. Also because yes. I don't have a documentary, and this was about as close as I could get to having a documentary <laughs> on the list. Fair. Um, so, Absolutely fair.
1: So, yeah, what's next for you? Uh, My only film from the decade I fell in love with movies, the 1980s. Oh, interesting. And that is Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing," which is I still think the greatest film ever made about race in America, Uh, and is a film that again, if there's if there's a consistency of of all of my ten films, I think they're the ten films that they're ten films that, for the most part, either understand film history. And use it to their advantage or make movies, make, make filmmaking do things that we don't often see or expect and then do something with that. They're not doing it just to make it do something different. There's a reason they're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And you know, people uh, don't understand how much Do the Right Thing owes to Vincent Minnelli. It is an extravagantly beautiful color movie. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is all about color. Note the subtext. It's all about color. It's an absolutely gorgeous movie that does not seek answers. It seeks only to express and does so gorgeously and smartly and in ways that still inform and I fear will always inform.
0: That is fascinating um, because Do the Right Thing was the movie that made me realize I could not have a list that didn't have some of your movies on there. Um, because <laughs> I, I, okay. I, I, there was no version of this list that couldn't have do the right thing on there for me. And it's actually my, if we're going alphabetically my number four. Um, yeah. I, I, I adore it. Um, I, I, it's one of those movies and there are, there's another movie on my list too. That is this way where I think people who haven't seen it, it feels like it's going to be work. It feels like it's the you know the reputation a lot of people have of do the right thing is it's preachy, it's angry, and, and it is angry. Um, but they think it's you know just a one long, you know, racial screed that yells at them to change their thinking and, and delivers a sermon basically. It's a sermon of a movie, and they forget it ain't that no, <laughs> and they and, and what they miss is how funny this movie is. And alive is the only word I can think of with this movie. It is a movie that feels alive. It feels like that. That neighborhood is real. It is funny. You know, by the time it gets to the uh, the sequence at the end, you know why everyone is making their choices because you followed them all day. You not only know that, you understand it. And you don't leave with a moral lesson. You leave with questions and it is a movie that you leave debating and arguing about and mulling over. And this is a movie I haven't seen this a ton. I've seen it three or four times, but um, every time I walk away and I just like, I feel like I'm vibrating after I watch it because it is so alive, so funny. And yet by the end of it, you are just thinking of a million different questions and, I love Do the Right Thing. Excellent. Excellent. I'm happy it's there. What do you got next? I want to
1: know. I, no, I want to know what becomes between two and four of you. I'm trying to get see. So I'm guessing it's not Cannibal Run because you wouldn't spoil that early.
0: Uh, no, it, it I'm is Cannibal Run 2. Oh, smart. Tell me more. <laughs> no. Okay. I will say my number three movie is the movie that I have tried to avoid putting on this list because it is the cliche answer and i can't do it because it's great it's citizen kane um and i can't like i i can't not have citizen kane on here um i could talk about all the reasons why people should watch citizen kane uh it is kind of a final exam for that point of everything movies could do and playing around with all these different tools. The acting is phenomenal, but I think the best argument I can give for this movie is it it is the other one where I, you know, it sounds like eating your vegetables, right? Because it's been on the list for so long. It's been the number one movie for so long that it is easy to think this is a movie you have to endure because it's historically significant. It's artistically, you know, and culturally significant. And I can remember the first time I saw it late nineties, I was in college, in a uh, history of film class, and I learned it was going to be, we were going to watch Citizen Kane because we were going to, you know, learn how important it was, and I groaned. And I was like, shit, I guess I gotta guess I gotta get through Citizen Kane. (laughs) And like Do the Right Thing, it is another movie that is so purely alive in a different way. It's smart, it's mean, it's funny, it's when you know the making of this movie and you understand the history of Hearst, the, every every dig in this movie is so sharp. Um, are you getting a thing saying your internet connection unstable? Nobody I can tell yours is. Like you oh, cut okay. out on me. Okay. Um, hopefully it'll come through in recording. But uh, every dig is so sharp. It is a movie that is so enjoyable to watch while it's also using the tools of cinema to the best of their ability at that time to push what they can do. It, it's so much, it's such an enjoyable watch so much so that when I saw it a second time, it was actually 16 years later in another college class, the same seminar room, the uh it was a class on depictions of the media in film. And I yep. learned we were going to watch citizen, citizen Kane that week. And I like, my fist i was like yes we get to get to watch this and i enjoyed it just as much and yeah i I mean you can dig around for why citizen kane should be on this list it i I couldn't leave it off i have
1: no problem with citizen kane winning this poll every 10 years i don't have it on my list Mm -hmm. but i have no problem with it being the standard by which we're going to say okay that's it that's what that's what you're supposed to aspire to uh Yes, I agree with everything you said. I had to see it. I think I've told this story on the show before, but in the four years I was at U of M in eight semesters worth of classes, I had to see it for five different classes. Oh, really? <laughs> so I, I was inundated with it and I, I don't get sick of it either. I think it's a great movie.
0: That was my and experience one of with- the very, the, very best movies. That was my experience with Battleship Potemkin, which you had to watch in every single film class. Yeah. And, um, and with good reason. And Red Sorghum was the other one I watched like three times. Wow. Um, Yeah, it it like circled back like three times and it was fine. I I don't remember anything about it except the color right now. But uh, (laughs) that was one that kept coming back. Harry, what do you have that is not Citizen Kane?
1: Uh, Fourth on my list then after Do the Right Thing is a a film nobody's seen. And that's Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Uh, What more can do do we really need to keep talking about The Godfather at this point?
0: (laughs) well
1: it's it's so good it's it is it is a perfect screenplay uh it is so wonderfully acted it is so it is so beautifully acted and it is so beautifully uh it is so beautifully the performances are all so beautifully directed <laughs> coppola really does love his actors and uh, allows all of those characters moments that reveal everything and are basically thrown away uh it's it's just a marvelous achievement. It is it is the film I hope that someday does top the Sight and Sound list. Not that I, not that I would have it number one if I were ranking my list, but it just feels like the one that should be there at least once.
0: Well, Perry, we do have to talk a little bit more about The Godfather because that's the next <laughs> on my list. Um, Good deal. Good yeah, deal. and all right. And here's the thing: I don't know if it I don't know if it would have been on my list had I, had we not done that episode on it. After I had watched it recently uh, a few years back, uh, and I was just reminded how great of a narrative that is. It is, yeah. it is so good at telling an epic story that is also so intimate, where you know every person. And I think I said this when we were recording that. I watched it around Christmas time, which I don't know why that is. That has one scene that takes place at Christmas time, and yet for some reason it feels like a Christmas movie to me. And I was <laughs> I was trying to remember why. Well, I was trying to like heal that that thought a little bit. And I realized there are so many scenes of people sitting around kitchens and family rooms. and it, it feels like you are part of that family, part of that that, you know, closed circle so that it's almost cozy when you watch it, which is a weird thing to say about such a, you know, violent movie. Um, but it, I, I had I had not seen it in 20 years when when I went back and watched it. And it was like the characters had been so well drawn and that story so well told that I remembered everything that was going to happen next. I remember who all the characters were. And this is a movie I keep trying to convince my wife to watch. Um, she hates gangster movies. And I keep trying to tell her, this is, no, this one's different. This is, this is a really good one. And it's not just about the mafia. There's so much more going on in this. And yeah. I haven't won her over to that yet, but uh, okay. one day I'll Eventually, it. eventually,
1: eventually. eventually.
0: will we'll happen. Start. We'll start with Goodfellas. <laughs> um <laughs> a much easier film to take yes <laughs> what, what's next for you perry
1: uh we reached the halfway point of the list jumping all the way from g to p and this is one of my i i, I mean it's here honestly I, none of these are protest votes mm-hmm. you know i'm not I, I don't have a single film on this list that's here because <laughs> um they they're they're, they're the, i think the 10 greatest achievements in film history for me and so, um, while there is another film from this director that is always perennially in the top ten of these lists, um, and one that may someday get to number one, I've, my favorite Stanley Kubrick film will always be *Paths of Glory*. Uh, I think the greatest war film ever made. Uh, a film that has uh, everything that comes after *Paths of Glory*, with the exception of 2001, can be seen in *Paths of Glory*. <laughs> I think it's where Kubrick truly finds his voice. It's another film where you can see the most incredible camera work. Just the, the steady cam shot through the bunker is one of the most thrilling technical achievements I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> you watch it and you need to be asking yourself, Oh no, literally how did they do that? I don't understand how they did that. That's not possible, right? How they do that. And then you can find out how they did it. It's because they figured out how to do it. <laughs> There's no trick. They just figured out how to build everything to do it. Um and it's it's the it's the last time for me Kubrick uh allowed himself to show his heart. And so oh, I, I am I am a big fan of Paths of Glory. I, I think it's I I think it's a stunning piece of work, uh both cinematically and uh and I it's the only war film I've seen. It's it's the old I think it's Truffaut, Camper's Truffaut or Godard, and boy we should talk about Godard a little probably. First time we've recorded since his passing. <laughs> I can't remember which one of them said that, you know, you can't make an anti-war film because all war films make war look like look glorious. Yeah. This is the this is the one that doesn't. <laughs> this is this is just awful from beginning to end. Uh, and it's 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 a great movie and it's a film that doesn't feel like it was made in nineteen
0: fifty-seven. I will have to check that out. That is a blind spot for me, mainly because oh, I oh. have a hard time with Kubrick, but everything you're saying makes me think maybe this should be one I should visit. He's, he's very yeah. cold and I, I don't respond well to that with his movies. Um, but I've been G-pans. thinking about. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I considered Dr. Strange love for this, which is a movie I do love by him. Um, everything else just leaves me very cold from him. And um yeah, whatever. Um, but we're going to back up from R. Let's go into the ends a little bit here. Uh, and let's talk about a movie that I'm going to keep it very brief on because we did an entire episode about this not long ago. Uh, and it's Robert Altman's Nashville, which um, I, I, I the, the moment I saw it, I was I, I really thought this is one of the best films ever made. This is a <laughs> great film about America. Uh, it is about so many things. It's about America. It's about music. It is about politics. It's about capitalism. And yet all these big ideas, and it's still so intimate with these, these you know, the focus on these 25 or so different characters who are all going about their lives and it feels almost like a documentary like you are bumping into them and seeing just a glimpse in their life and yet this whole tapestry of ideas comes out of this um it it is a fascinating movie I, i think it is just I I don't know. Like I felt like I was swimming in it when I was watching it. Like you, you don't sit there as a viewer, you let it kind of wash over you and you, you just experience this world that's being created and which isn't so much like our Nashville, but it it feels enough like our Nashville. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, maybe it's recency bias and having recently seen the movie, but I I do think this is one of the best films about America I've seen. And I, I, I think it is fantastic
1: excellent i thought you were gonna go with a different end film and it might be next so i'm not gonna i won't say what i was expecting when you um, said you had an. you had an you end can because i don't know. have
0: another end film on this list oh all right i was expecting
1: you to say network i was very happy and surprised when it was nashville not that oh. i really had a problem with network but you know nashville it's
0: funny was... a network was in consideration as was dog day afternoon and then i started wondering am i putting stuff on here because i've seen them so recently um but Network network was in contention. I do like Network. I actually like Dog Day Afternoon better, though, I think, after having seen it. I I have no problem with that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but Nashville was where I ended up. Uh, this Altman series that we're going to get back to in our next episode, this has been by far my favorite thing we've done on this podcast because it's been cool. all discovery for me, and uh, I, I love that. I, and it's not my favorite Altman, I think. Uh, Long Goodbye might be my favorite uh, so far, but um, I, I do think it's the best so far that we've seen all right what's next for you perry uh mine is uh
1: i mean you could call it a protest vote i guess because i find it ridiculous that vertigo's at the top of the list when it's obvious that the best Hitchcock film is rear window so mm-hmm. rear window is on my list uh for uh, for all the reasons i think we've talked about rear window many times on this show i love uh, i i i love the simple sentence that it's the most perverted film in the history of Hollywood because it's all about how Jimmy Stewart doesn't want to marry Grace Kelly until he can watch her from across the room (laughs) It's, (laughs) it's the best it's the most sicko fetishistic voyeuristic film that Hitchcock made and he does it with the greatest class and style ever uh it's 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 a fantastic piece of work I recently revisited it uh it is a it is the Hitchcock film that I think requires uh i i think it is the most timeless i think it's the most timeless shark film i think rear window will play that well 50 years from now and it's it's an absolutely wonderful example of everything that he did well
0: i will say rear window is the one movie i took off my list because i knew it was on your list and i needed more room um and also because it's been a minute since i've seen Rear Window, but a, a few years back And not even a minute like it's been within the last 10 years but um a few years back i bought the alfred hitchcock box set with like five or six Mm -hmm. of his his films and i had not seen any of them and, and i watched all of them and i will definitely say i think rear window is the one that i enjoyed and thought was better than vertigo i like vertigo a lot um but Rear Window is just a movie that works from the start and it's so immersive um, that you, you are living in that apartment and the way just the sound work is what I remember, how it, it feels oh. like someone is right. You you can tell, it feels like they are right across the way, even though you're watching on your screen, but uh, it, it just immerses you in that, that apartment. And yeah, it, it's good. Um, I, I think I was also I was also primed to like it because of all the uh sitcoms I saw growing up that uh for some reason found a way to rip off rear window um there yeah. was an Elf episode that did it uh so, <laughs> well part- it's perfect
1: it's you're you're stuck in a room mm-hmm. basically you don't leave that apartment. I yeah. don't think you leave the apartment for the entire movie which is yeah fantastic and it doesn't feel claustrophobic, not any more than it's supposed to uh it's it's great.
0: Yeah, Rear Window's great. Um it's it's my number 11, I, I think. But uh, uh but I'm staying in the R's for my next one which is is one of two movies that are going to surprise no one who's listened to this podcast long enough. Um so my first thought was I knew I knew I needed a Steven Spielberg on this list. Um I love Steven Spielberg and I think he has made some of the greatest movies of all time. And I really do think escapism gets a bad rap. Um, you know, the movies are escapes. They they do create, you know, magical worlds we can escape to. And I just didn't know what to put on. And in fact, two weeks ago, I took my son to see Jaws in 3D, which kind of, I I, I left that thinking, okay, Jaws is on my list. Jaws is, Jaws is a great movie. I love Jaws. Um, and for a movie that I didn't think needed 3D, that movie works really well in 3D, like really fantastic 3d on that but um at the end of the day i had to go with raiders of the lost ark um which i think is a perfect movie it is a perfect bit of entertainment i think it is spielberg just he's muscular in that the way he pulls off the pacing and the way that movie just books um I, it is the movie that when i think of what i like from the movies what we go to experience at the movies raiders of the lost ark to me is just that's the picture that comes in my head it is you know cliffhangers and adventure and action um and i i toyed with should this be on the list or should star wars be on the list and No, I like Raiders of the Lost Ark better than Star Wars. Raiders of the Lost Ark is a better film. It is, uh, you know, it it is Harrison Ford at his most iconic. It is just stunt sequences that still, like, make my jaw drop. Uh, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is my favorite movie, but I also think it is... I think it is perfectly made and um, I, I tried really well, we'll talk about the movie I almost had on this list that putting Raiders of the Lost Ark made me feel a little bit better about dropping it off. But um, you know, if you think of the the fact that movies are sight and you know, they're, they're motion and sound Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of distills that to its essence. It is all about movement. It is all about loud noises. It is all about creating the unimaginable right before your eyes. And I love Raiders of the Last Ark. Excellent choice. What is next for you?
1: Uh, I have up next, the oldest film on my list. Hmm. Uh, And, uh, and the only French film on my list. Ooh. This is Jean Renoir's 1939, the rules of the game. Okay. Which is uh, so, and if I were making this list, trying to actually rank these films, this would be tied for the top spot. Okay. <laughs> this, this is one of my two favorite films. Uh, Scorsese and Renoir are uh, two sides of the same coin. Scorsese's genius is no director ever so rigidly planned and controlled the frame and the movement of the camera while letting the actors seemingly do whatever they wanted. The, the people in the frame are free to do go wherever they want. It's not, they're never posed in a Scorsese film. Uh, and what, what Renoir did in the 30s throughout France was the opposite. He took the most theatrical actors possible <laughs> and put them in the real world, not sets. He shot like on the streets of Paris in like 1933. You know, this mm-hmm. this wasn't easy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Rules of the Game is... Uh, sort of the masterwork of this uh oddly enough it, it mostly takes place on a set that doesn't matter it's a very real set it's a very real feeling house uh, and he plays with uh, he plays with depth of field just as wells would do a few years later with citizen kane where there's stuff going on in the background of rules of the game that if you're paying attention is actually advancing the story <laughs> yeah. um, and it is a it is a film that I would love to. If you have you seen it? Have we talked about this? Have you seen Rules of the Game?
0: Rules of the Game is in that pile with Eight and a Half, Jules Le Gim, okay. uh movies that I saw too long ago for me to feel confident putting them on the list. Okay. Rules of the
1: Game for me is uh, the story of Rules of the Game is stunning in and of itself. The, the story about the making of the movie and how the film came to be in its current form is. Amazing. But I will leave it to say that, you know, it was a film that it was the last film that Renoir made during this period in France. Uh, it gets released uh, d- less than a year before the Nazis invade France. It is all about the end of the French aristocracy to that point, and they don't realize it. It's a bunch of blithering rich idiots mm-hmm. who are not paying attention to what's really important in the world. Uh, and but it's very subtle about it. <laughs> it's not hitting you over the head about that. That's just what it's about. If you're paying attention, it's a film that it, it it very much helps you to understand the time and place in which it was made. And I think it says all the world that it was banned in France before the Nazis invaded, and the Nazis banned it too. It was, it was a film that upset everybody. Uh, uh, it's it's a really spectacular movie that is is worth doing the research on to understand why it's great uh but i think it's pretty great even if you don't have that knowledge i remember
0: i remember enjoying it it was the same college class where i saw citizen kane um and and but again there are just so many of those movies where i'm like i haven't seen this in 20 years i don't know that i can pull off a conversation on it um yeah yeah so there's a whole like there's a whole list of films that i just need to go back and catch up with but we're we're, he- we're living in kind of content heavy times right now um you know i had to set aside that time that i could have spent re-watching rules of the game to watch hocus pocus 2 and pinocchio God, oh my god Am <laughs> <My God. laughs> i ever talking about how much i hate hocus pocus oh what a I, wretched
1: movie oh <laughs> It's a wretched
0: movie. We might be able to talk about that at the end when I uh, plug my podcast or plug, plug my podcast, gosh. When I, <laughs> when, I, when, I when I plug my uh, reviews. Um, yeah, all right. well right. let's stick to the good ones right now. And I'll yes, go with my please. next one, um, which is Singing in the Rain. Um, because I have called this before the most badass movie ever made. Because when you read the making of stories about this movie and the, 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 you know, the, the sheer exhaustion that sent people to the hospital only to come back and find, Hey, we got to do that again. Uh, (laughs) When when you read about Debbie Reynolds tap dancing into the night with blood in her shoes. Uh, When you learn Gene Kelly had pneumonia when he was doing the, uh, the singing in the rain. And then you watch the movie and it is the most, Effervescent, happy movie you could experience. That to me is that that's cliche to say, it, but that is movie magic when you can hide all the hard work and misery of putting something together and make it look as effortless as that movie is. It is funny. It is light. The music is great. The dancing is great. We don't have enough dancing movies. Um, This is a movie I continue to try and sell my kids on and say we're going to watch Singing in the Rain only to be told by my wife. They'll think it's boring for them to see. Oh, it's an old movie. It's boring. And one day I am going to turn it on and they are going to realize they're wrong uh, because (laughs) this is this is just it, it is joy on a screen and it takes so much work to pull that off that I don't know how you could say it's not one of the greatest movies ever made to to have that result.
1: Uh so I remember so Dream Girls. Remember Dream Girls? Mm -hmm. Dream Girls ends the closing credits of Dream Girls is done over a montage of like them rehearsing and practicing all of the numbers and uh, it it basically was all about showing you how hard they work to make that movie. Mm -hmm. And it was the point at which I realized, no dream girls really misses because the whole point of a musical is it's gotta be easy. It's not supposed to look like hard work. You should be the whole point of a musical is that you take it for granted. Yeah. And, and uh, Singing in the Rain is everything you said it is. And that's why it's the next film on my list. Nice. It's the greatest movie musical ever made. It's the greatest movie about movies ever made. Yes. <laughs> this is, it is so funny. Uh, the songs are all fabulous. There isn't a dud number in the bunch, even if not all of them are essential. Uh, I, I, I don't want to ever miss any of them when they're on. It is. Uh, It is. is It's a joyous motion picture that um, just walks up to the line of being conflicted about uh, living in a fantasy world (laughs) just as much as it should. It doesn't quite fully embrace it. There are questions you could ask of this movie that I feel should be asked and people don't. And I don't really care, still, (laughs) because I think they're there, and they're like, "All right, yeah, we know, we know this is, we know this is ridiculous, but it's fun in it."
0: (laughs) That's right.
1: It's a fabulous piece of work. Yes, Singing in the Rain, uh, the film that allows for there to be eleven directors represented on my top. (laughs) Um,
0: I just realized my wife is going out of town this weekend, and I am home with the kids, and I might be forcing this on them. It's time. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Perry, what do you got next?
1: Uh, Next up is, of course, the film that would be number one if I were putting these in order. It's Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. I've talked about it enough here. (laughs) No one needs to hear me say the same things I've said before again. So, yes, Taxi Driver, I think it's the greatest American film ever made. Uh, uh, This today, for no other reason than it's the greatest piece of – it's the greatest character study ever done. Mm -hmm. You're given nothing of Travis Bickle's past. In real, I mean, you're given no flashback. You're given no explanation. There's no scene where he talks about anything. The closest thing you get is the very first scene with him, where you get the, uh, the 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 job application he filled out to become a taxi driver. You find out he's a Vietnam vet. That's about all you know for sure. And And, at the and, do you know that for sure? Know him. I think that's pretty apparent. Yeah, I I think we're supposed to take that quite literally. Well, if you want to keep part
0: of the damage if you want to keep talking about Taxi Driver, we can because it's the next film on my list. Um, yes, and I, here, and here is where I tried really hard to dovetail from your list on this. Um, because I, I knew like, I wasn't going to put a list like this together and not have a Scorsese movie on here. Um, and I played with other ones. Raging Bull came close, but it's been a very long time since I've seen Raging Bull. Um, Silence came close, but doesn't quite get there for me yet, although I I think a couple more viewings I could I could see silence being sure. on this list. Um for the longest time I had Goodfellas on this list. Um because I think Goodfellas is him working with every tool at his disposal to tell a remarkable story. And it's fantastic and I love Goodfellas. Um, one of the reasons I pulled it off though is it would have appeared right after The Godfather and I'm like I don't want to have to... <laughs> this conversation <laughs> twice. Right. But, but when I kept thinking about it, it's no, it's taxi driver, and the the thing I kept getting coming back to, which is with a weird phrase is it gets its stink on you it is <laughs> it is a movie that I can't shake when I watch it. I don't enjoy how I feel after I watch that movie um because I've known too many people like Travis Bickle, right? you know the angry loner, the angry person who thinks they are they are right. And the rest of the world is wrong and they're going to set it right. Um, It it is a, it's a movie. I was, I kind of grew up thinking before I saw it, I remember my impression of it was that it was an action movie or a horror movie. And I still think on the second, how it might be a horror movie. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. it It is a very disturbing, dark movie. And, it, you can't shake it and I think there is something about those collaborations between Scorsese and Paul Schrader that just elevates even his best work um, oh, so yeah. yeah I knew you'd have it on the list I was hoping you would be able to be the one to take it from the start because <laughs> I know how much that movie means to you so it glad it worked out um, that's the end of your list isn't it? I have one more you do have one more okay I have one more I too have one more. Um, so I, will I give go- you the honor sure all right. I will go and say it is not a surprise. Um, when we did our best of the last decade, this was on top of my list. And it is Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Um, and I feel vindicated that I can say this because Roger Ebert had it on his 2012 <laughs> Sight and Sound list. Um, this is a movie that I was, I, I, I was weirdly enough, reading a book yesterday. And they were uh, talking about Tree of Life and I was reading mary mccampbell's book uh imagining our neighbor as ourselves and it's about how art creates empathy and art can you know lead to spiritual reflection and i think what terrence malick's captured with the tree of life is the closest way to distilling what prayer is in a movie um you know it it is the story of this family and, you know, growing up in Texas, set against the scope of the entire span of the universe. <laughs> yes. And it it really is this marriage of the transcendent and the very intimate, the very immediate. And it is set against a woman praying, you know, what is my purpose in this? What is your goal in this? To, we don't see who she's praying to, but it it plays with that biblical idea that and I respond to very well of, uh, you know, this is taking part in a larger story. It, it's the most transcendent movie I've seen. Um, it is gorgeous, gorgeous visuals. This is a movie I will sometimes just crank up the sound and let it play because it is it is beautiful to look at, but it also, it, it achieves a spiritual search that I've never seen a film accomplish. Uh, it, it is a movie that feels like, it is talking directly to my soul when I watch it. And I don't know how you do that with just, you know, a camera and lights and sound, but somehow it captures something my heart is is praying for and longing for. And I just, I, I think the greatest testament to that movie is I can't find a way to talk about it. Like it is a movie that you just have to sit with. And uh, yeah, I love The Tree of Life and that's why it's on my list.
1: Uh, i'm i'm this is this is such a, a wonderful contrast uh my last film is also uh it, it is it is the flip side of that coin i have always mm. I, I am partial to small and perfect over sprawling and grand not 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 universally either sprawling grand films that i absolutely adore but i'm more drawn to small and perfect mm-hmm the last film on my list is, uh, I think the only film on this list, I don't know that I've ever talked about it with you. <laughs> ever. Not just on the show, but I don't think we've ever talked about this movie. Um, and it's its uh, Yasujiro Ozu's Tokyo Story from 1953, mm. which is this uh, just unbearably intimate, very Japanese drama. Ozu's style was to basically put the camera down a few feet away and let things yep. play out. Um, level. and. Tokyo Story is this just heartbreaking film about uh, uh, this older married couple whose, uh, whose children, who they have done everything in their power to raise and raise well and have done so, uh, the the children are not there for them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's about. And it is told in the most intimate and small moments and details. Mm-hmm. It is a film where you know the slightest movement matters and i don't mean it matters because there's not movement and suddenly there's movement the movement matters <laughs> it is the kind of film where you know the simple act of 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 and I'm, I'm i'm not giving you something to look out for in the film i'm saying something as simple as pouring a cup of tea matters tremendously mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's so small and it builds up for something that quotidian that everyday-ish, that one side of Tree of Life (laughs) to mean the universe. Uh, And that's, and I love it when a film can do that. Uh, You know, Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation pulls that off in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, Tokyo Story does it over and over again. It's a really beautiful movie. It is, it's the only Japanese film on my list. Uh, And if you've never seen Tokyo Story, it's, I believe it's sitting on the Channel ready for I believe to it move, is. As is rules of the game. So uh I I you know, if if you if you wanna if you want to leave your American fixated list, go for it. I, I encourage you to do
0: so. <laughs> um Tokyo Story is another movie I saw uh, back in that same classroom with Citizen Kane and Rules of the Game. The professor's good. He knew good. I, I had to call my grandparents after I saw it. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. Is, it, I I don't remember moments from that movie very much I can remember how I felt when it ended though Um, it's very it it left me very sad yes (laughs) it's supposed to Um, well that's our top 10 what else did you have on the list that you had to cut off or you that was it I don't I can tell you that the two films that
1: dropped maybe I can only think of one of them at this point um, A, A Hard Day's Night fell off okay for me um which seemed obvious after, I mean, wh- why would I have a Hard Day's Night there if all that jazz can be there? And I love Hard Day's Night to death. Do not get me wrong. But, the, you know, that's that's a pretty obvious, you know, one to drop. And I'm trying to remember what, it's Tokyo Story that also added the, uh, this time around. But I can't remember, I cannot remember off the top of my head. I think I wrote it down somewhere. Okay. Uh, what fell off for it, but I don't remember what it was. I don't think it was, so, oh, it might have been Blue Velvet. It might've been, it might've been Lynch's blue velvet. I have a that, vague yeah, it probably memory was. of you.
0: It probably I have, was. I have a vague Which memory is, of you doing the list 10 years ago and it being on there. It is shocking to me that I could make this list of blue velvet.
1: not be on <laughs> I, I don't understand how that happens. So that should tell you how much these films mean to me. Yeah. How about you? We talked. To, you, said, uh, you talked about dog afternoon
0: being close. Dog afternoon was close. Um, goodfellas was obviously close goodfellas was close the one that was on my list and i dropped it at the last minute and it breaks my heart because i wanted to have an animated film on there i had toy story 2 on there um for for a bit because i i want i I, to me it's just the greatest animated film i've ever seen like just it, it, it it the fact that it made me feel the although i don't know i watched inside out with my kids the other week and um that was a roller coaster that was uh a lot of running out of the room because it was getting dusty but um, <laughs> um some like it hot was on there for a bit um, Okay, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of movies that again I saw years ago where I'm like god I know this should be on the list Bicycle Thieves um, which oh, I, yeah. I feel like came up a Wonderful. lot in college um, Rashomon Ikaru I, I like both those Kurosawa films I think I prefer yes. Ikaru Um Here's a better movie and then, I have
1: I have real reservations about Rashomon. <laughs> I think Rashomon is a wildly overrated film in movie history. I just but watched
0: it personally. again a few years ago. And, and I really, I, I really liked it. Um, but apparently not enough to keep on this list. Um, and then I wanted to get, <laughs> I wanted to get a documentary and I had the act of killing on there for a bit. I had thin blue line on there uh, for a bit. And, um, and There Will Be Blood was on there until I realized I had Citizen Kane and it was kind of doing double duty. <laughs> um, but here's a question because I, I had one on the list that was very recent, but it, it, it leads into a question I wanted to ask as he closed. What do you think are some films from the last decade that they did this that we'll see on the list, you know, make, make a major appearance on the list when it comes out in November? I don't think you'll see any make a
1: major appearance. Um, it will be interesting. There'll always be people who, who do make sort of a, a protest vote and make sure they get something newer on there just to just to be that way. Um, so the, the 2000s open up. So I think there's a very real possibility you may see. Uh, I'm willing to bet before sunset get some votes. I really do. Uh, let's see. Wow, that's a really great question. And I hadn't thought about the films from the 2000s that much. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, and, I, and I lose track. My problem is I, I, I stopped remembering what years movies came out after 1999. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Jackson's Rings films show up on somebody's lists. That wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: I considered uh,
1: those, but then I didn't. I didn't, but I understand <laughs> why people would. I, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a really good showing of something from Alfonso Cuarón.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I really
1: wouldn't. um I don't know what precisely. It's a little too early for Roma, and that would be the one I kind of would expect to, to sneak in quite possibly. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. That'll be one of the really fun things to see is what does well.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Boyhood show up. I think that, that could get a few votes. Um, the one I think is, that was almost on my list that just the way... I've seen it reappraised in recent years and topping lists of like the best decade, last 20 years. I wouldn't be surprised to see Mad Max Fury Road on the list, Um, which I considered until I realized Raiders of the Lost Ark was sitting right there to do the exact (laughs) same thing. Um, Parasite, I could see. I think you're right about Quoran. I think it'll be Children of Men.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I think e2 mama or or roma has just more inter- more of a worldwide pull i, th- oh, I still think right, global, people have not yeah. seen children of men yeah. i mean i feel like children of men has just kind of been skipped over in the history of film uh, unfairly and unnecessarily but it, it kind of has avatar of course but <laughs> <laughs> is there any film i want less than avatar 2 no <laughs>
0: No, there is not. I truly do not care. (laughs) Well, that is our top 10 list. Like I said, if you agree, disagree with us, find us on Twitter, track us down on Facebook. Uh, I think there's an email you can email us at in the show notes as well. Uh, Perry, this was fun. I'm glad we finally got around to doing this and we'll we'll do it again in 10 years. Sounds good. And at that point, there should be another Hobbit trilogy that we can uh, consider for
1: that. (laughs) Or, or maybe an maybe a, maybe a 27 hour Beatles talk out of Peter Jackson. <laughs> can only hope. In the meantime, while we're waiting for that, where can people find you, Perry? You can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy and Lance Show on WLBY in Ann Arbor. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Love's film Facebook. You can hear me right here and you can hear me uh, often on Fridays at Cathode Ray Mission. Uh, talking with uh, talking about uh, directors' careers and uh, and TV shows, we're actually going to do a deep dive through HBO's
0: Chernobyl this Friday. Fun, yeah. And, and, and I need to go back and watch that. My wife watched that and was really uh, really disturbed and moved by it. And it's been on my list of I know I need to watch this, but oh my gosh, I don't know if I have it in me. So I so I'm not drawn to horror films. We've talked mm-hmm. about
1: this. I love them, but they're not anything I'm drawn to. And for me, real horror is, is, is a systematic failure. Killers, you know, slasher films don't scare me. Watching the complete breakdown of something that's supposed to work is frightening and watching people in control make terrible decisions that go completely unchecked is that's, that's horrifying to me. The mayor in Jaws is scarier than the shark. Okay. And so for me, this, uh, the, the second episode, and it's only Chernobyl's only five episodes. The second, the last twenty minutes of the of the second episode, uh, I just felt like I wanted to throw up, and I hadn't felt that way since watching Ken Burns' superb Vietnam doc,
0: mm.
1: <laughs> for the exact same reasons. You're just watching the complete inability of people in charge to to, to understand what's happening or to do anything correctly, and it's horrifying. Yeah, so yes, big big recommend for Chernobyl. It's very good. It's really I- worth checking out.
0: I'm not scared of a teenage kid with a knife. I'm scared of a uh, middle-aged man with responsibility. (laughs) Exactly. Precisely. (laughs) I'm so much scarier than a teenager. Absolutely. Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. Uh, You can find me on this podcast. Uh, You can find me reviewing films at Cinema Nerds with a Z. Uh, I think this week I have a review of... Hocus Pocus 2, which I know so many people are looking forward to. And I would rather see Avatar 2. I would rather (laughs) see Avatar 2. I confess what I said minutes ago,
1: completely bullshit wrong. I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) Um, And I am also supposed to see and screen the greatest beer run ever this week. Um, So, yeah, the, the... Tune in though there to th- see what I thought. Uh, subscribe to my newsletter, Criticisms. It's I'm wrapping up a uh, franchise Friday series on the Oceans movie with Oceans Eight this week, which I have not seen and might go watch after this. Um, and then in October, I'm going to be doing Stephen King films again for a bit, as well as revisiting uh, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Uh, which I have not seen in a few years. So we'll be back here uh, in a few weeks and we will be jumping back into our Robert Altman marathon. Uh, Until then, I will see you around, Perry. Take care, Chris.